0: You are listening to the Life Church Podcast. To learn more about Life Church, including our gathering times at Fisher's, Eagle Creek, Noblesville, Pendleton, or our Life Crew online, visit us at LifeChurchIM.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Nathan Peternell. Well, good morning, Life Church. How are you? Good, good to see you all. Well done bringing all your friends. You know, people would ask, I, I hear that you are a Pentecostal church. Does that mean that you handle snakes? And I would, I would have said all the times before, no, we don't do that. But now Mike has ruined that too. So, um, it is so good to have you. I want to welcome our online campus, and I want to also welcome all those of you who are first time with us on Channel Forty and uh, Life Church. Can we welcome them? Isn't it great to have them with us today? Great to have you. And by the way, if you want to tell us you're out there, you can text the word GUEST to 317-961-8330. Just let us know you're out there, and we would love to be able to connect with you, pray with you, resource you. Uh, God bless you. We think that God's got something special for you today. Here at Life Church, we do something called expository preaching, which if you're new with us, it means that we let the Bible set the diet rather than whatever the preacher wants to talk about. And uh, we find ourselves today in Second Samuel chapter 3. So I'm going to let you guys go ahead and turn there, Second Samuel chapter 3. And while you're getting there, let me tell you a story. Whenever I was about 16 or 17, any 16 or 17-year-olds in here? You can raise your hand. Okay, we got some. Yeah, I see them all around here. 16 and 17-year-olds. Uh, when, I, when I was that age... I had a a youth ministry, there were about 100 of us in the youth ministry at South Hills Assembly of God in Western Pennsylvania where I'm from. And uh, I had a friend who hung out in our group and his name was Tim. And uh, Tim was there all the time. Um, He didn't come from a church background, he actually got saved. Uh, through somebody inviting him, he got saved, and then he was there. He was a part of our group, and really growing. But then something happened in his life. He started to miss more and more, and I, I got wondering, well, where is Tim? I mean, he's always a part of our group. Where is he? And it was told to me by another friend that he had started dating an unsaved girl. And, uh, you know, of course, we all knew that we weren't supposed to date girls that weren't saved. That was a no-no. Um, and so we, uh, you know, just kind of looking for him, but he would just start coming less and less and less. And um, I remember that a number of months had gone by and I looked at my friend Jeremy and I said, Jeremy, where is Tim? He says, look, it's, it's, that, it's that girl. She's dragged his heart away. And I said, I need to go say something to him. And he, he said, oh, Nathan, just before you do that, just know, He he told me that the next person who comes to talk to him about his unsaved girlfriend, he's gonna punch him in the face. I said, no kidding. He goes, yep, he's gonna punch him in the face. I go, oh, well, maybe I might not go talk to Tim about that. I didn't. Months go by, and I finally run into him in my town, and when I ran into him, I said, Tim, how are you, man? I said, we have missed you. Like, what happened? He said, Nathan, I started to date a girl that she wasn't good for me. She she didn't know the Lord. She drew me away from God. I just quit coming and it was bad. I said, Tim, I I said, I'm so sorry to hear that, but I was gonna come talk to you about that. And but I but I heard that you were gonna punch the next person who did that in the face. He said, Why didn't you come? I said, Tim, did you miss the part where you were gonna punch the next person in the face? He said, that might be so, Nathan, but had you come, I would've listened to you. And I never forgot what he said to me. You see, I'm, I'm named Nathan after the prophet that we're gonna run into in the chapters to come, not today, but in the chapters to come. Nathan the prophet who stood out and talked to one of the greatest men in the world, the most powerful men in the world at the time, David, and told him that he was wrong, that he was in sin. But in that moment at 16 and 17, I didn't do what my namesake was. And I I know that in our world today, you know, our world needs truth like never before. You know, truth saves people from heartache, but it hurts to tell. Truth is hard to say, and it's hard to accept. To declare it makes you very, very vulnerable to war and conflict, and yet truth is the only way really to make peace. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 27, verse 6, it says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful or excessive are the kisses of an enemy. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. I know that it's hard to confront people. I actually have the gift of confrontation. (laughs) Some of you go, that's not true, that doesn't exist. I have it. It means that I'm very willing to do it. doesn't mean that I like to do it, but God, God gives me an ability to, to bring about peace when I do it in most cases. And confrontation is something that all of us need to learn. We need to do it the right way. We need to make sure that we speak the truth in love, but this is meant to be in the body of Christ. We were meant to tell each other the truth. And As we get into this portion of scripture, I want you to see that there's some really negative things that are going on that need to be confronted with truth. And you wonder, where are those voices? Go with me. Chapter 3, 2 Samuel, verse 1, it says, Now there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, and David grew steadily stronger, but the house of Saul grew weaker continually. This is the first verse in the Bible that we ever get the phrase, the house of David. And that's important in, uh, archeology. There were many people prior to 1993. They were what were called biblical minimalists and they didn't believe the biblical text. They didn't believe that those people really existed. They, you couldn't rely on the Bible and they didn't even believe that David was a real guy. And so, in there, was a, there was a city in northern Israel called Dan, and a tell is a mound. And what would happen in archaeology, a lot of things get covered over by dirt, and you've got to go dig it up. You've got to remove the dirt to find the gold, right? And, uh, and so they were doing that in Dan, the ancient city of Dan. And lo and behold, as they're out uncovering it, they found a wall. And, and, and this uh, female archaeologist, she goes by. This wall, the sun catches something just right. And she looks down and she sees something kind of shining at her. She looks at it and realizes they have a stone in that wall that's got writing on it. And she cries out, we have an inscription. Well, everybody runs over to see what the inscription is. And th- this becomes a very, very important archaeological find. On it, it's called the Tel Dan Stele or steel however you want to pronounce that but it says on it the house of David it dates from the ninth century BC and here's a picture of it right here it says the house of David what this essentially did is shut up all the biblical minimalists that said oh you can't trust that the scriptures are accurate and I mean thing after thing after thing after thing we find the Bible tells us it's there, we go looking for it, we find it. It tells us that David had sons. Now we're gonna look at that today in the portion of scripture. I wanna to talk to you that a lot of times people want to push down what the Bible has to say, not just in way of history, but in way of wisdom and in way of truth. They, this was the first time outside of the biblical text that we saw that, that name, House of David. And there's a long war between what God has established. I call what God establishes, I call that truth. If it's God's opinion, it's truth. If it's man's opinion, it's religion. It's, it's their point of view. But then that changes all the time. You know, in our world, so many people, they stand on what the world says. They take that as their authority. Do you know that's a religion for them? Lots of people, they, they come up with their worldview from their experts and, and, and they don't wanna see anything through any different lens. I think that the truth ought to speak. I think that we should be grounded in God's word and not in just a worldly wisdom that's deceptive. If, if it is that the wounds of a friend are faithful but the enemy multiplies kisses, Then I I start to think that the world tells me what I want to hear, but the Bible tells me what I don't want to hear, but that there's life there. And I think that when it comes to history, we ought to show history warts and all. I think we ought to have our statues, even though they may not have been to people that we would like today. But those statues were made so we would remember the story of what happened there. Remember the times. Remember the culture. We should not put away the old because it offends us. We ought to tell the truth. I'm going to tell you some bad things about David. And I love David. David is an awesome man of God. A prophet. A king. But he did some dumb stuff. We're going to talk about it. I don't think we ought to whitewash history. But instead, I believe that truth is going to win, and you should always stand with truth. David has become the king of, of Judah. There's another man named Ishbosheth. His name means the son of shame, and he is Saul's fourth son, and he is the king of Israel, which, you know, of the other 11 tribes. Only one is followed after David, but God has placed His hand on David. God has placed His calling on David. That's the chosen of the Lord. And there's a man who is the great-uncle of Ishbosheth. His name is Abner, and Abner, he has, he has decided to prop up his great-nephew, even though his great-nephew was a pansy. He doesn't want to bow knee to David. He doesn't want to call David his king. He wants to hold on to power. And so he sets up this other government, which many, many, many people are following after. But David has better men. They're tried and tested in war. They are are great veterans. They're hardened in the fight. And they're also, they have this other thing that makes all the difference in the world. It's called the hand of God. Who's on their side and so David just kind of keeps increasing his government is increasing his army is increasing when they go out to war they do better in this long battle that's been with the house of Saul but he's also increasing his wives and he's also increasing his children now go to verse 2 it says sons were born to David at Hebron his firstborns name was Ammon by Ahinom the Jezreelitess one wife, one kid. And the second, Sheliah, by Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelitis. Now she's a great gal. And the third, to it's Absalom, the son of Makah, the daughter of Telmeh, the king of Gesher. That's three wives, three kids. And, and the fourth, Adonijah, the son of Haggith, and the fifth, I can't pronounce, but there's a fifth and then there's a sixth ithrim David's wife Agla these were born to David at Hebron now that's that is not good that is not good you got six women six children that rarely turns out good for anybody just ask a lot of NFL players who make millions and millions of dollars and somehow end up bankrupt why Because you're you're not to do this now just because you see this in scripture does not mean that this is like go try this (laughs) Instead this is much. This is God talking about. Hey, this is not what I want but I am but I am gonna show you that I don't approve of this because of the consequences that are going to play out here. Now, we're to have one life. I hope that all of you young people, you don't have to go, hey, you know, I'm really hoping I get my second and third marriage right. What a terrible way to go into marriage. We want you to get your first marriage right. And we want you to stick it out forever, which means you better know that God's telling you to do it. You know, to have two wives is not a good idea. Six? And the truth of the matter, it says six, but in actuality, he's got seven at this point. Now, I have a question. Is he allowed to do that? Well, if he would go to God's Word and he would read about what it says in the book of Deuteronomy, one of the, 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 the books of the law, it says when you come into the land and then you decide that you want a king like all the other nations, God knew all this was going to happen. He says, hey, listen, when this happens, I want to make sure that you pick the guy I chose. So they have to be chosen by God. And I want to make sure that he doesn't multiply horses. Now it talks about horses before it talks about wives. Lady, that's, uh, ladies, that's not my fault. Okay. <laughs> it says don't multiply horses and, and don't go back to Egypt to try and get more and, 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 and to worry about that. He doesn't want them to fight their battles through military prowess. He wants them to trust in him to lead them. Depend on me. But then he says this. This is Deuteronomy chapter, uh, this is chapter 17. And, and it says this. Where did I put that? Here we go. He shall not multiply wives for himself, and or else his heart will turn away. There's the problem. Nor shall he greatly increase silver and gold for himself. Now it shall come about that when he sits on the throne of the kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. It shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully observing all the words of this law and by these statutes uh, um, that his heart may not be lifted up above his countrymen and that he may not turn aside from this commandment to the right or to the left so that he and his sons may continue long in the kingdom in the midst of Israel. God says, I want him to have sons. I want him to have legacy. I just don't want him to do it through many wives. This is bad. If the king does something, it gives everyone else license to do the same. That's why leadership matters so much. Could you imagine President Trump or President Biden sitting down to write out the law of God? I think that's what they ought to do day one. They're saying things, especially President Biden right now. He is saying things that go absolutely contrary to God's word. And he stands up and tells everybody else, if you don't agree with this, you're unloving. Bull. No. What is loving is to follow what God has said because God knows all things. God knows how things are going to play out. Leaders are to know God's word, and they are to they're to walk this out and David should have a Levite Saying sit right down there young man and write this out and So some people say well pastors shouldn't get involved in politics The pastors the Levite The politics may be the king now king sit yourself down and learn the word of God And I'm gonna hold you to it and if you mess it up I'm going to make you start over. You have to know God's word. I just want to ask a question. After all those verses, six wives, six children, where is his faithful friend to go, hey David, you can't do that. You're not permitted to do that. Don't you know that this is going to end up with unbelievable consequences? Oh, folks, we've got unbelievable consequences in the families here in America. Because we don't abide by what the Lord says. And we've got poverty like crazy because of the ramifications. Young people, listen. Don't get pregnant before wedlock. Don't don't have a child before wedlock. Don't sire one, don't have them. And if you get pregnant, don't kill them. You you have got it. look, don't, don't cohabitate. Don't think that by living together you're gonna make your, your relationship stronger. You're not. You only increase the percentage odds you're gonna get a divorce. And ladies, why would he want to marry you when he gets everything and doesn't have to give you his name? Don't do that. It doesn't work. Reject the lies of the enemy. They may be deceptive and it might look good on an episode of Friends, but it is a lie. Yes. Amen. Where's his friend to tell him the truth? Don't, don't be a friend that wants something from somebody. Be a friend that wants things for someone. Make sure the motive of your heart is right. Don't let the deceivers keep kissing you with lies. They want something from you. They want you compromised because they're compromised. Simple truth in life is that establishing your house is is really making sure that your marriage goes well. Love that one woman, love her intensely. Be faithful to her, date her, romance her comfort her share your dreams with her turn off your phone and talk to her ask her what she's going through find out and assess where she's at in her life make her your best friend in the world that's what you need to do in your marriage a house that's established upon the rock has, 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 a, has a future but a house that's put on the sand and things are always shifting just like common our our, our world is so commonly like, oh, well, this is the rule now. No, this is the rule tomorrow. That's the rule in 10 weeks. Forget it, you can't have life that way. And so, where's David's faithful friend that will wound him and tell him what he doesn't want to hear? Everybody, there's just a bunch of crickets. Verse six, it came about, That there was a war between the house of Saul and the house of David. That Abner was making himself strong in the house of Saul. Now Abner is that great uncle who didn't want to bow knee to David. Sets up the man of shame, Ishbosheth, and he's 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 the he's really the political working power in the kingdom. Nobody really confronts Abner on anything because he's too powerful. Now, Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah. We're going to see her later, but this is her kind of origin story. And she's the daughter of Ai. And Ishbosheth says to Abner, Why have you gone into my father's concubine? Now, here's, here's what happened. He goes and sleeps. We, we think. He goes and sleeps with Rizpah. Abner does. When a king. Had multiple. Uh, he had he had wives, and then he would have concubines. I had to study concubines this this past week. Um, the concubines are the harem. They belong to the king so long as he's alive. When he's dead, they get transferred over to the. Uh, the new successor, whoever that may be, whether that's a son or whether that's outside of the family. Now, if it's a son, according to Leviticus chapter 20, a man was never permitted to sleep with someone his father had slept with. It's gross, okay? And that, that, that's the rule. Now, he has responsibility over them. They are not slaves. They're concubines. A concubine in that culture was... For the raising up of, of children to increase the house and also for his sexual fulfillment just because it happened didn't mean God wanted it but but there were rules to it if it was going on he was supposed to take care of these girls but Abner in his power decides he wants one and so he takes Rizpah and it wasn't permitted it wasn't that that the law of God necessarily said that it wasn't permitted. It was culture, but it wasn't permitted. And it looks like to the PR department of the world, at that time, it looks like Abner is gonna try and take the throne from his his great nephew. It looks really bad. If Ishbosheth is weak, this only makes him look way weaker. And that might not have been his motive, Maybe Abner wasn't thinking that, but nonetheless, that's what happened. And so Ishbosheth calls him out and says, What you're doing? You can't do that. What are you doing? And Abner gets ticked off. Look at how he responds. Then Abner was very angry over the words of Ishbosheth and he said, Am I a dog's head that belongs to Judah? That's the other country, right? The one that had the King David. Today, I show kindness to the house of Saul, your father, and to your brothers and to his friends, and have not delivered you over into the hands of David. And yet, today, you charge me with the guilt concerning a woman? Now, Abner is wrong. But so is the whole house of Ishbosheth wrong. It shouldn't even exist. This is not who God has chosen. It's like that movie that said, I'm out of order, you're out of order, everybody's out of order you're you're calling me out on sin everybody's in sin right here and God has this moment where he starts speaking truth to Abner in his anger have you ever found that God gets you into a place where all of a sudden you start speaking something and or something starts happening to you and you start having some lights go on but it's not it's not like in church it's in some other situation That's what's happening to Abner right here. He knows they're living outside of God's will. God's will's David to be the king. He realizes this little shrimp is no great, the the people are not in good hands under this guy. There's no future living outside of the Lord's will and blessing and and, they need to just give it up. Abner knows that the people would be far better with David than they would ever be with Ishbosheth. And he means in this moment, he goes, you know what, I might not be right, you're not right, this whole thing's not right, and we're going to make it right. Being called out is really a very hard thing, but it gives us an opportunity to examine our future. Watch what he says, may God do to Abner and more also if as the Lord has sworn to David so the Lord swore to David and Abner knew about it I do not accomplish this for him to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and establish the throne of David over Israel and over Judah from Dan the very top northern part to Beersheba, the southern part and he could no longer answer Abner a word because he was afraid of him he was afraid of him all of a sudden he says I know To make this right, you need to be under a better king. Your house is gonna fail. David's house is gonna succeed. You know, bringing back a wayward house to the rightful king is the only way really to have peace and that's where we are in our nation, isn't it? We're a wayward house under a king of selfishness and sin. It's about time we get back to the true king. Maybe Abner's concerned whether he'll be a low guy in that house, but it would be better to be a humble man in a great house than a great man in a house of shame. And I want you to think about the fact that Jesus is the rightful king of America. And our house has been at a long war with him. And it's time to admit it. It's time to recognize that we've been following after shameful things as a nation, and it's time to abandon that shameful God of this earth, the devil, and it is time to go and repent and go only after the Lord. It's time to come to your senses, and it's time to return to the real king. You see, the wounds of a friend will bring healing. It's time to have some hard conversations in our families and in our friendships. Especially when those hard conversations are pointing to Jesus. I'm gonna ask the prayer team to come. If you need prayer today, you're watching online, just wanna tell you, hey, just uh, text the word prayer to us, 317-961-8330, we'd love to reach out and pray for you. But my friends, it's time for us to examine in our own house what's going on. Shame is in way too many Christian homes. We think we know better and our culture tells us we're okay to do it, it's not okay. We've got a sin problem, a big sin problem. Some people we don't want to tick them off, We think that we'll lose that relationship. Well, I just have to tell you, while the world talks about love, 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 and love is love and all the different lies of the whole thing, I just want to ask you, do we have less real love in this world? Because of, oh, if I love them, I'll just accept whatever they're doing. What if what they're doing is going to kill them? What if what they're doing is going to take them to hell? Oh, my friends, we can't do that. It's time to examine, truthfully, the state of things. What are you talking about, Pastor Nathan? It's a call to holiness. It's a call to be under the Word of God. It's a call to self-examination, maybe tears. We've got rampant sexual sin in our country. We've got rampant sexual sin in the church. Not just life church, the church. And the enemy is going to intimidate us, tell us you can't say that. And he'll always use intimidation. And you know what? So will the DOJ. So will the IRS. So will maybe your company who tells you that if you say anything like that, that they'll destroy you and your career. Don't hold on too tightly to this life. Hold on to truth. Always stand with the king whose name is truth. He's Jesus. And in him, you will never be ashamed. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would convict us by your Holy Spirit Lord, we love you. Forgive us of our sins. Our prayer team's up here. Listen, do you want anybody to pray with you this morning about this or any other issue going on in your life? We're here for you because we love you. Come. Just respond to the Lord. Some of you right now in this moment, the Lord is speaking to you about a friendship where he's saying, I need you to wound that friend if you wound them I can heal them I want you to wound them for me quit multiplying kisses multiply love if you were encouraged by today's talk be sure to rate us, share with a friend and hit subscribe on Spotify iTunes or wherever you stream your podcasts our mission is simple come to life, connect to grow find your purpose, make a difference Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.